Hi, everyone. Uh, before we get into the episode, I want to make a comment about the fact that we talk a little about colonialism in this. Uh, specifically, about one group of people being forced to leave their homes by another people who are taking their land. Since recording this episode, the eviction of Palestinians from their homes in Sheikh Jarrah, already an atrocity in its own right, has escalated, with Israel extensively bombing Gaza, killing over 250 Palestinians, including at least 60 children. There's a ceasefire at the moment, but all that means is that there are fewer bullets flying, not none, and that Palestinians are still living under colonial rule, or are completely displaced. As we've done before, uh, we'd like to suggest some other podcasts you can listen to, as well as other ways you can offer support in this time. I'm going to recommend the website Decolonize Palestine for reading and learning about the history of Palestine. And along that same line, uh, the Red Nation podcast, which I've mentioned before, has two uh, recent episodes about Palestine. I'd recommend the episode Decolonization in Palestine with historian Usama Makdisi, uh, which discusses the current uprisings and the legacy of the Nakba. In the description of this episode, as well as on Twitter, you can find links to donate and support work in Palestine, including, but not limited to, Islamic Relief, the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, and Adamir, which works to support Palestinian political prisoners. Finally, while any support is good, one of the preferred ways to support Palestine is to support the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement. BDS is a Palestinian-led movement inspired by the South African anti-apartheid movement and calls for action to pressure Israel to comply with international law. Before we move on to the episode, all I will say is that whenever you see injustice and want to help, whether it's this or anything else that's going on, um, pay attention to what those are suffering or actually asking for. Okay, thanks. Welcome to Sendoku Book Club, where we finally get around to the books that have been sitting on our shelves for forever. I'm Emily Miner. And I'm Leif Nelson. And that felt really weird to do. <laughs> but you got it on the first try. So that's, I did. That's what I did. But I have like little butterflies. I had like little butterflies in my stomach as we as we were doing that. Yeah. So, but it felt good. <laughs> it felt good. It's good to be back. So. Yeah, I kind of gave like a teaser about this yesterday on Twitter, because um, today we are talking about J.R.R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion, mm-hmm. and I am like really excited to talk about it. All right. I... Normally we save questions for later, yeah, but it's okay. like, yeah. did you always know you were this big of a nerd? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm I sometimes, you know, I may have like kind of like kept it under wraps. Yeah. Hid my light under a bushel <laughs> <laughs> or something. 
something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, especially when it comes to, like, Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth stuff and fantasy stuff. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big old nerd. But I've been trying to read this book for like 10, like, like at least 10 years. Yeah. I feel like that's like a generous minimum, <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay. Because we had all of these books, like The Hobbit, all of The Lord of the Rings, and The Silmarillion in my house growing up. Because my parents are big, like, Lord of the Rings nerds, and I would say especially my dad, because um, mm. my mom, not that there's anything wrong with this, I mean, like, it is dense, and clearly I've had a hard time reading it, but my mom, I don't think it was ever into the Silmarillion, whereas my dad is, like, a huge mm-hmm. Tolkien nerd and loved it. and um. So, yeah, so today we're talking about the Silmarillion, which was published after Tolkien's death. It was edited by his son, Christopher Tolkien, and the edition that I have is my dad's, and it was published in 81. Okay. So, before we really, like, get into the book, I feel like I just need to get my, like, nerd, (laughs) like, like, awe out on the table, because I know that several times while reading this, I have just come in and, like, been talking to you about how, like, just Tolkien, like, blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> because I think for me, there will never be anything, like, as cool as this, like, fantasy fiction-wise. Right. Um, but I was thinking as I was taking notes on this that, like... And part of this is probably just that I, like, kind of stopped reading fiction for a while in general in a lot of ways, um, unless it was assigned. <laughs> but um, I've never really read other, like, high fantasy stuff. Like, I kind of did, like, some YA, like, high fantasy when I was in, like, middle school, high school. But past that, um... Like, I've never read any of the, um, what is the series that you've been reading? The Wheel of Time. Yeah, the Wheel of Time series, or, like, a lot of the super popular ones that are out right now that I honestly just couldn't name because I know there's a lot of them, but, like... You're not reading, like, Robin Hobb or Brandon Sanderson or anything like that? Mm -mm. And... I, like, don't know why, really. <laughs> I, I, Let me just say this. I have at least the first trilogy I'm planning on getting more. I want you to read Robin Hobb. She's really, really good. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. But that's the thing is that, like, I don't know why. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is that in my mind, Tolkien is, like... I, like, kind of have his works on, like, this pedestal, right? So I wonder if it's sort of, like, this subconscious thing of, like, well, nothing's ever going to, like, live up to that. Which I know is super unfair because, like, there's a lot of other really good writing out there. And, like, there's definitely flaws in Tolkien's writing. And it's not (laughs) like it's perfect. But I think it's part of it is, like, the nostalgia for me that, like, I just can't, I can't get that with 
stuff that I would read now, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Even if it's, like, amazing, I think I'm just like, but it won't be, like, Tolkien, right. if that makes sense. Despite the fact that, like, I have Tolkien on this pedestal, and, like, I don't think, like, for me, um, I was recently watching, like, Lindsay Ellis videos, like, rewatching Lindsay yeah. Ellis YouTube videos on, um, the Hobbit, where she talks about how the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings trilogy, I think she uses the phrase, like, lightning in a bottle. Mm. Like, it, 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 it's just so amazing, and, like, that's how I feel about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But despite that, I've never been able to read The Silmarillion until now. Well, to be fair, this was one of the questions I had for you, but I'll say it now. Yeah. To be fair, you haven't read The Lord of the Rings either. You've read Fellowship and part of Two Towers. You know what? I don't need your rudeness, okay? We're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't appreciate being attacked <laughs> on public radio. <laughs> but, uh, okay, yeah. So keep in mind, part of it. Like, I've talked about in previous, like, when I talked about Fellowship on here, my dad read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit to us when we were kids. Like, it's taken me till adulthood to actually read them myself. And you're right, I still have not read Return of the King for myself, but I am (laughs) getting there. But, but like, I've had them read to me, right? Like, and I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I was bored. You know, I, I loved that. But when it comes to the Silmarillion, it is still different because I don't think the Silmarillion is exactly like a bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> it's keeping in mind, you know, it's not as long as any of the Lord of the Rings books. It's almost 400 pages. I'm almost positive that even Fellowship is, that Fellowship is longer than that, But it is notoriously dense. People talk about that it is a difficult read. It's not like reading. You know, if, like, The Hobbit was written for for children, in air quotes, right? Like, um, it's it's more of, like, an episodic, like, easy to, like, more accessible. Digestible. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a better way of describing it. Lord of the Rings, it's a little bit denser, But, like, in comparison to the Silmarillion, because the Silmarillion does not have a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of Tolkien telling you the history of the entire First and Second Ages of this world, right? So, like, it's dense. It's very, like, mythology-heavy. But on the other hand, there are some nice things that kind of break it up. But anyway... So, you know, I've been trying to, like, cut myself some slack, and then I haven't been able to get through it until now because, like, it's known as, like, the more difficult to read Tolkien of, like, his classic stuff. But, yeah, we've had it in my house as long as I can remember. Every time I tried to pick it up, really could not get past, like, the first couple of short sections, which I would say in total are about 20 pages. I Uh, think that's about how far I read it. I think mm -hmm. I've only tried once, 
And I don't remember much, so. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing. Every time I would come back to it, I would have forgotten everything. Yeah. Because, like, it just did not stick, even the little bits that I had read. And this is one I liked to read. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I... I think I have kind of tried to hold on to that part of my identity of, of like, I'm a reader, but, like, I really have not been a reader for, like, some years. Yeah. So, if I'm honest with myself, like, the, the, the last time I tried to pick this book up before a month ago was when I liked to read. So, mm. it was probably pre-college. <laughs> and... Yeah, so the copy I read is the copy we grew up with. I don't remember when I stole it from my dad. Probably when I left for college or graduate school when I moved out here. Um, And, you know, when I was a kid, like, I was an avid reader. And I would, like, zip through stacks of library books. And like I said, I um, just could never really get through this. And then I've kind of talked before on here about how, like, I don't think it's just school. I think it's also, like, the kinds of entertainment, the media, mediums of entertainment that I was getting more into as I got into college and grad school. Um, But I just kind of stopped reading for pleasure. And then when we started this podcast, I was reading more in comparison to before, but it still kind of felt like an obligation to some extent. Mm So, a couple of months ago, I took a social media break because I felt like I was spending too much time on it and kind of scrolling, scrolling without doing anything or, like, actually enjoying it. Um, So, I kind of tried to take a little break and it was at the same time that I said, you know what, I'm going to, like, take another crack at this book. And I read it in a month. (laughs) (laughs) Which, for some people, might sound like, oh, that takes a while. But, like, I'm a slow reader by nature. Um, So, for me, I'm very proud. that First of all, that I just got through the frickin' book. Second of all, that it didn't take me forever. And third of all, that I genuinely enjoyed it and, like, am enjoying reading again. In general. Yeah. It's like the craziest <laughs> thing. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that stuff yeah. before really getting into the book. So I am not going to talk through the plot in detail. Okay. Because if I did, we would be here for many hours. Yeah. <laughs> Emily reads the Silmarillion 2 right. 10 hour long YouTube edition. <laughs> What I will say for those who have not read it is that essentially what the Silmarillion is, is the history of Middle Earth and this universe basically prior to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So often I see it described as like the Bible for The Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's accurate? I mean... Yes and no. Okay. Yes, in that there are, like, smaller stories and stuff, but no in that it's not, like... I mean, like, yeah, there are, like, Christian influences and stuff like that, but I don't necessarily see it as, like, and here's this parable, and here's this parable, and here's, like, the message from this, and you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, there are, like, overarching messages... But, like, I don't think I would call it the Bible. Okay. 
except for the first two sections. Okay. Because, so I should say that really the Silmarillion includes five things. It includes... Like the Torah. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> so first of all, I know that I'm probably going to just like totally mess up some of these pronunciations. Tolkien has a whole guide to pronunciation in the back of this book. I know that I'm following some of the rules, but I honestly just could not be bothered to like fully learn. <laughs> like I'm not that deep into this right. world. So I'm going to do my best. So the first section is the Ainulindale, um, which is essentially like Genesis. Okay. Okay. It is, here is Iluvatar, the god of everything. Here's how he created stuff. Here's how Melkor sang an ill, you know, ill-spirited song and essentially became Lucifer. Like, very in that regard... It feels very biblical, okay. right? Because it's sort of like here's the creation of the world and and the the Valar um, that are sort of like gods on earth, or maybe you would call them like angels. Um, and Melkor is one of them, and he's sort of like the Lucifer character, right? He sort gotcha. of falls from grace, uh, and it's kind of like how the world is sung into being. Okay. So that's that's the first section. Um hard to read. <laughs> <laughs> um a little dense, a little boring. Um you know, that's just me. There's no like it's just a lot. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. it. It reminds me of the Tom Bombadil section. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's sort of like you get lulled into this like dream world where you're like, whoa, it feels like I've been reading forever, but I've only been reading two sentences. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it kind of feels like Tolkien like drugged you. Yeah, I um, have not read The Lord of the Rings since like grade school. Mm-hmm. Um. But that does remind me a lot of, like, reading for class when it's just like, oh, I cannot stand this book. And you realize you've been flipping back and forth in the same two pages because you've forgotten what's been going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. 100%. That is exactly how that <laughs> went for me. Um, And then, so that's maybe 10, 15 pages. Not, it's not long. And then the second section is called the Valaquenta, which is essentially like a character breakdown of all of the Valar. So like what you might call the angels on earth, right? There are several of them. They all kind of have like their own domains. Like, it's not like earth, wind, fire, water, but like kind of like that, <laughs> okay. right? And um, a lot of them are paired up. It's very hetero. Um, and... But it's kind of like, here's who they are, here's, like, what they're tied to, here's how they kind of relate to each other. Had a hard time with that part, too. Like, a lot of names sound similar. <sighs> like, you're flipping back and forth because you're, wait, like, wait, I thought that that was this guy. Like, yeah just a little confusing like sauron and saruman bumped up to 11 100 100 
So those first two sections were just in general a little bit of a slog to get through. But like I said, it's really only like 20, 25 pages, those two sections together. So like not very much. It's not a ton to get through. But it was tough, and like I knew that that's where I'd gotten stuck every yeah. other time. So I couldn't help but feel like a little bit like discouraged that it was taking me a while. But I did something different this time. Well, a couple things different. First of all, there is a foreword in the book before any of the sections begin by Christopher Tolkien, Tolkien's son. Basically, very briefly talking about the process of getting all of these stories together, trying to turn them into something that's, like, semi-coherent and, like, consistent. Um, Because, you know, Tolkien had been working on the history and, like, all of these stories that go into the Silmarillion for years, even before he started The Hobbit. Um, And he worked on it his entire life, like, bits and pieces. So hard to weave them together. And Christopher Tolkien talks about how two things. One, there are some places where it will seem inconsistent, and that is because it is. <laughs> and that's okay. That's just how it is. And don't worry about it. <laughs> and second of all, talked about how there are so many characters, you will not need to know all of their names. Just keep going, basically. Right? And so I read that foreword. I'm kind of lazy. I very rarely read forewords, but this time I read it. Really glad I did because I felt like, okay, Chris, I think maybe I can like approach this now. And on top of that, side note, we're fairly certain that I have like undiagnosed adult ADHD. (laughs) So my attention span while reading is very frustrating. Okay. Like I have a hard time keeping focused. So for these first two sections, I kind of adopted this practice where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going and let the words just wash on over me. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not super worried if I get it. Or if I remember everything, I don't need to remember everything. I can always go back if I need a little reminder or whatever, or I can look something up. So I just kept going. And then it got better. And yeah, I don't know. It was just really nice. I felt like I was kind of giving myself like permission to just not like worry about it so much. And I'm not saying that this is like, you know, a a solve, you know, cure-all or whatever. But for me, I think letting that be okay actually, like, released some of that pressure. And then as I kept going, I was able to focus better. Um, So that was really, really nice. I just kept reading and... Then, like, before I knew it, I was, like, a halfway through and three-fourths of the way through, and then I was done. And, like, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed reading this book. Um, Literally could not recommend it more. Highly, highly recommend reading it. And I'm just really happy. Like, and now I look forward to reading. And so that was kind of, like, my experience of reading the book, right? But... So, we already talked about the first two sections. The third section is called, like, the technically called the Quenta Silmarillion, which is 
the Silmarillion. It's like the biggest, longest section. Basically talks about the beginning of the Earth, beginning of the Elves, and kind of like where they all ended up going and traveling. Some of them went to like the Undying Lands in the very beginning and then coming back. And that's a whole thing. (laughs) That caused a lot of strife. (laughs) Similar to, like, the Rings of Power in Lord of the Rings, there are these, like, gems, these stones that were created called the Silmarils, where the title comes from. And uh, they're created by an elf. And there's, like, a lot of blood shed over these Silmarils over, like, thousands of years because of his descendants feeling like they have, like, a claim to Mm. these things, but also Melkor or uh, Morgoth, the evil, big old evil guy, (laughs) saying, no, I want these, and him taking them, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Silmarillion is that long-term story with, like, smaller stories that are involved, but sort of, like, slightly more self-contained, woven in. Mm. Um, So it's broken up into several, lots of chapters. Then that ends, and there's the Akalabeth, which is the story of the Numenorians, which are kind of like men who, they're like Aragorn's um, ancestors, right? Men who are still mortal, but they were sort of gifted longer lives and this island to live on because they helped the elves take down Morgoth Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the first age. So it's their story of them kind of like falling from grace, essentially, um, and how that all happened. And then there's like a 20 page section about, it's literally called Of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. <laughs> and it's 20 to 30 pages about, here's how the rings were made. It's like the briefest lead up to the Lord of the Rings you could possibly expect. I still think this book is so hilarious because of the way that it like, like we know, it, maybe there's just more that I haven't read that I don't know about from like the appendices or whatever. But to me, it feels like, We've been given this enormous history about the first age, this forward, if you count the Hobbit book, like section on the third age, but not even all of it, like late third age. Mm -hmm. And then like the second and like beginning of the third age are sort of like, I mean, it's not like we don't know what happened, but like we don't get any like store, like story stories or like details It's just so funny, like, the way that he, like, really expanded on the early and late stuff. And the middle is kind of, yeah, there were people. (laughs) There were people. (laughs) Um, But I kind of wanted to talk about their sort of three, like, major things. Because, like I said, I cannot talk about every story in this book. But there are sort of three major things I wanted to kind of highlight. And the first is just, like, kind of straightforward. Like, I'm really just, like, a sucker for an origin story. Like, you already know that. My favorite um, uh, Legend of Korra episode is the episode about the first Avatar. My favorite superhero movie is Batman Begins. Like, (laughs) I want to know how it all started. Right. Right. 
Um, so this real, this book really like fulfilled that love of mine. Um, literally giving me like the entire backstory of this world that I really only knew through the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just gave me like this deeper sense of meaning about things that happen in Lord of the Rings that before I knew like were tied to some sort of like unknown bits of lore. But now it's like, oh, I get where that reference is. And like when Galadriel gives Frodo the file with like the water in it, and she's like, oh, this is the light of Arendil, our most beloved star. You know, I never knew like what that meant. I just assumed it was like a star. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Come to find out, Arendil is a half-elven man who flies a boat in the skies with a Silmaril set in his forehead, and he's like the northern star. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so, like, it just kind of gives you, like, all of these cooler meanings to things, that being just one of them. Yeah. And it showed me kind of, like, how themes and situations repeat in this world over thousands of years. Which kind of brings me to the second thing okay. that I wanted to talk about. Um, relationships between elves and mortal men, right? And I'm using men, like, with a capital M here because... I'm talking about the race, yeah. not, like, male men, okay? Because there are... <laughs> not talking about... I'm not talking about... Workers. Yeah, I'm not talking about the USPS. <laughs> but elves and the race of men, right? And romantic relationships between them, which are few and far between. But Aragorn and Arwen are not the only example of mm -hmm. this. And I was recently texting with a friend who was re-watching Fellowship, um, the movie, for the first time in a while. And they were texting me while watching it. And they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, why does she, like, why does Arwen have to, like, why is it always, like, the woman has to, like, give up, <laughs> like, her whole freaking life for this guy? Um, and I agree. Like, there's some, like, uh, I mean, you know, people have gone into, like, the gender dynamics of Tolkien's world and... I don't necessarily feel a need to, like, rehash that. Like, there, there's, like, a lack of, of women. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say that there are other examples of these kinds of relationships, and it's not always the woman, regardless of race. It is not always the woman giving up her ancestry. Mm. So I'm going to kind of give an overview of these other relationships. So the first is um, this, I feel so weird saying male man, <laughs> this man, Tour, and he ends up marrying or being with this elf woman called Idril Celebrindal. And they sail into the West in the First Age. Um when the West was not so difficult to access. Mm. Um, and his fate is, like, totally sundered from men, from the from the race of men. Like, he essentially gets the fate of an elf okay. um, and lives forever in the Undying Lands with her. Um, the most famous, I would say, if, like, you are a Tolkien head, um, I don't know if that's the <laughs> phrase people use, but... Um, 
the the couple that I had at least heard of their names before is Baron and Luthien. Um, Baron is, again, um, a man of the race of men. Luthien is a woman, a female elf, although she also has some, like, angel in her. Fun fact. Um, in her bloodline, because her mom is, like, a minor angel, basically a Maiar. Um, but her dad's a high elf. They both die in the quest for one of the Silmarils. Um, and she chooses to become a mortal. So they both die. She gets sent to, like, the halls of the Undying Lands. Um, because she's, like, killed, so she can still go to the Undying Lands as an elf. But she wants to be with the love of her life. She, like, sings this, like, really, really, like, sweet and sorrowful song to the gods, like, to the angels, um, the Valar. And basically, they give her a choice. They say, either you can stay here or we'll send you back to Middle-earth and we will send Baron back as well, but you will be a mortal woman from that point on, and you guys will live until the end of your lives, but then you will both die, and you will die as a mortal woman. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is that in in this in Tolkien's world, we don't know where mortal men go when they die. Whereas when elves are killed or when they just, you know, are, like, essentially, like, fatigued of Middle-earth, they go into the West. They go to the Undying Lands, mm-hmm. right, where they continue to live, but um, in a different place. We don't know what happens to men. So there's their relationship. And then the third one, Arendil, who I mentioned before, who turns into a star... <laughs> Um, and his wife, Elwing, technically they're both part elf, part mortal, and she is part Maiar. Um, but she chooses to be judged as an elf. They kind of give her the decision. She said, because she's half elven, they, the Valar give her a choice. Do you want to be judged as an elf or as a mortal woman? She chooses Elf, and Erendil chooses the same thing as her, even though he feels like a stronger tie ancestrally to his mortal heritage. Because mm. he's half-elven as well. If he weren't with her, he probably would have chosen, no, I feel like I'm... I'm more in line with like that mortal so is this like they've died and they're choosing what to do or what's yes going on? because it's complicated they they basically like sail into the west to beg for help from the angels okay. it's like a very very difficult journey at that point to get there they somehow manage to do it and it like it's sort of like well you've been here now things can't be the same anymore. Like, you kind of need to make a choice about, Mm -hmm. like, who you want to be. And funny enough, Elrond, who, if you, you know, know Lord of the Rings, you should know Elrond, um, 
he's also half-elven because he is one of their sons. And him and his brother Elros, they also have to choose then. Do you want to be of the race of men or of the race of elves? Mm -hmm. And Elrond chooses elves. And Elros, his brother, chooses men. And he is the first king of the Numenorians. So that's kind of where that split happens, mm -hmm. right? But anyway, um, Erendil, despite the fact that he feels a closer tie to his mortal men heritage, chooses to be an elf because he wants to be with um, Elwing the rest of his life. Gotcha. So I just think that's super cool. Like, <laughs> I know it's so, like, I don't know. I'm just, like, a sap or whatever, but I'm, like, that's so sweet and, like, so romantic and, oh, my God, it just, like, makes Aragorn and Arwen's relationship, like, that much more meaningful to me because it's, like, they're one in, like, four couples that have ever, like, had to make that decision. Um, And the thing is, is that for, to my understanding, for Arwen... It's not quite that she's like, I mean, she is choosing to be mortal, but she's still going to live a long time. So it's like, she will live a long time after he dies. And like, that's just like such a sad, like, it's like so beautiful. I don't know. I'm just like a sap. I'm hmm. like a huge nerd. Whatever. Is that what happened to the others? Is that like, what's the... I know it's I'm going to be, be honest, so. hard to tell because it's not like I'm getting like a year by year kind right. of a yeah, rundown yeah, yeah. of what's going on. So like to me, it seemed like at least for Baron and Luthien that like they didn't live that much longer. Like, I don't know, less than 100 years is what I would guess. But also, who knows? Because we almost never get like years. Mm -hmm. Um given to us in this narrative so <laughs> and obviously time passes differently for elves so it, it could be that i'm totally wrong it was literally thousands of years that had gone by <laughs> i don't know yeah. um but anyway yeah i just kind of wanted to touch on that and, and then i have one last thing but it's kind of a big thing no. so i titled this section middle earth and good versus evil colonization. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I thought of this a lot more when I read the Akalabeth section, which is not too long, but like I said, it's the part of, it's the story of the Numenorians, the not, the, the mortal, but kind of elevated race of men, right? And just to give a tiny little backstory because they helped bring down Morgoth, the big baddie, at the end of the First Age, the Valar give them their own island. It is between Middle-earth and the West, the Undying Lands, okay? They're given this separate island. They have longer lifespans um, and are just kind of closer to the elves, right? And this is where Aragorn's bloodline comes from, all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you have 
only interacted with Tolkien through Lord of the Rings, all you know is like, oh, like the line like died out, right? Like, oh, it's just that like, there weren't that many of them left or whatever. No. (laughs) Okay. The Numenorians literally like end up worshiping Sauron. (laughs) He like weasels his way in, in like his physical form onto their island, convinces them to worship Morgoth. They all do, except for like 20 people or something who are Aragorn's ancestors. Okay. Okay. So like... The Numenorians are really held in, like, pretty high regard, considering the fact that they're essentially Satan worshippers. <laughs> like, if you're if you're going to compare this to, like, Tolkien's Christian influences, yeah. right? Um, so, like, I just want to start with that, because it really pisses me off that, like, we get these accounts of, like, other men from, like, the East or, like, the South from ships who are, like, these evil, savage men in Lord of the Rings who, like, come to the aid of Sauron mm-hmm. and fight for him. Or, like, the Dunlendings who um, are kind of by, like, Isengard, stuff like that. And, like, I'm like, I'm sorry, but, like... The Numenorians ended up doing the same thing. Like, they're literally no better. (laughs) Like, technically, Aragorn is kind of better because, maybe, because, like, his ancestors were, like, the faithful Numenorians. Mm -hmm. But, like, no. Like, they were not that great. And they ended up being, like, super evil. So let's get into that. Like, what they did. Okay. Okay. So as far as I know... Keeping in mind, I have not read all of the works of Tolkien. We never hear accounts or, like, fully fleshed stories of, like, the regular mortal men of Middle-earth. So we never get to hear their perspective. All so you right? don't know what the Rohirrim are up to or whatever. No, no, no. I'm not even talking about them. I'm oh. talking about anyone who's not the descendants of the Numenorians and the Rohirrim. Just, like, other regular men. Men who are not portrayed as heroes in Lord of the Rings or good in Lord of the Rings. Are Rohirrim from Numenor as well, then? They are distantly related. Okay. They're not from there, but hard to explain. They're kind of distantly related. I am going to kind of get into that a little bit, but not necessarily, like, Mm -hmm. ancestry-wise. So, in the Second Age... The Numenorians, while they still have their sweet little island, before they go full-on evil, they sail to Middle-earth, they give gifts and skills and protection to, like, the regular men who are very... It's not like they go into... Tolkien goes into depth on this, but it's very clear that, like, they're just, like, living in the mud or whatever, right? So... Even though this is portrayed as a good thing that they're doing, it's already, like, very weirdly, like, like, patronizing, paternal way of talking about it. Mm -hmm. So they're clearly, like, colonizing, right? Okay. And the reason that they go east to Middle-earth in the first place from their island is that they are not allowed to go west. Even though they've been given this special island and they have, like, slightly, or not slightly, they have, like, heavily lengthened lifespans, 
they are not allowed to go to the Undying Lands. And it's really just because, like, they're men and, like, they would not do well there. Like, they're not of that place and, like, they would end up, like, kind of suffering if they were there is, like, the reasoning. But they become very bitter about that. They feel like something's being kept from them. And so they go east instead for a long time. And to me, it's sort of like this power play, right? Of like, okay, well, like, if I'm under the thumb of, like, the Valar, I can at least go east and, like, spread my goodness (laughs) elsewhere, okay? So it's very much this, like, good colonizing kind of story. And then when Sauron, like, weasels his way in, they suddenly become these, like, they... Then they are talked about like they are now these evil colonizers because they make war and like become like the rulers over the men of Middle-earth. Okay. Okay. So there's this split in how they're described. And obviously like, you know, killing people, not good. We don't like that. But like there's this clear distinction between like good colonization and bad colonization when... In reality, they're both, like, you know, we never hear about, like, and I know this is a fictional world, but, like, my guess is that if this were real, because, you know, this has never happened before or anything, um, but it's not like we're getting the story from the other side in this world about how they feel, him having them come in and be like, oh, you, like, just don't know what you're doing, like, here's some, like skills and tools and things Mm -hmm. because you're clearly like so weak and feeble and savage so yeah they literally like make war against them they enslave the like regular men and the mortal men of middle earth become like afraid of the numenorians for years for centuries for thousands of years they're like terrified of that kind of like separate race of men so can we really blame them for taking the other other, you know, I know that like the Numenorians were on the side of Sauron at this point, but like can we really blame them for like not liking the the descendants of those men? Right. You know what I mean? Okay, so along the same lines in the, I think, probably Two Towers, but I'm not 100% sure. In one of the Lord of the Rings movies, Saruman is recruiting the Dunlendings, who are men from, like, slightly south of Isengard. And he says, the horsemen, so he's talking about the Rohirrim here, right? The horsemen took your lands. They drove your people into the hills to scratch a living off rocks. Take back the land they stole from you. That's true. The Rohirrim literally made them leave. So when the Numenorians ended up coming, I won't go into like how this happens, right? Mm-hmm. But eventually Aragorn's few ancestors come to Middle-earth permanently. They make, you know, the the kingdoms of Gondor, whatever, right? And those kings give Rohan to the Rohirrim. Mm-hmm. Give. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the Dunlendings have to go somewhere else. Yeah. They have to go somewhere else because the Rohirrim literally, like, kick them out. But, you know, it's not like this has ever happened before in real life. So, we 
again, it's like, who's evil here? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I will literally never not love these stories, right? Yeah. But, like, I've thought about this before, just in, like, watching the movies, whatever, kind of vaguely, like... I don't know, just kind of, I mean, obviously, there's, like, just in general problematic ways that, like, the men of the East are represented, mm-hmm. right? Um, Very much, like, Middle Eastern and, you know, very much vilifying, like, a whole group of people yeah. <laughs> who are not white. <laughs> but, like, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I know in the movie that they're portrayed a certain way, but, like, just when I hear Dunwinding, Dun means darker. Yeah, right. Exactly. So they're portrayed as like these essentially evil people, right? These lesser men. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, but but why? Right. Is it maybe because you like literally like killed them off and like drove them away and like turned them against you for no reason? And so now you see them as lesser men because like you withheld like, things from them and, like, took things from them. Yeah. So maybe some people might see this as, like, a stretch, and that's fine. But for me, this kind of ties into something that I really love that Peter Jackson did in the films when adapting. Um, I know I've talked about this before, but in the books, Aragorn is not, like, worried about becoming king, right? It's like, I know this is, you know, kind of, like, where I'm headed, And in the movies, he's genuinely nervous. He's like, I don't know if I am, like, the right person for this. I don't know if I'm ready, right? He says, um, oh, right. Okay, so, like, he kind of knows, like, what men are capable of, right? He talks about, like, the same weakness flows through my veins, Mm. right? And I know that he's probably also just referring to the fact that, like, his ancestor didn't throw the ring into the fire, like, when he had a chance to. But I think you could potentially also read that line as, like, I know that men have, like, turned evil. Like, they they are not always good people, even my own, like, Numenorean ancestors, yeah. right? And so... This really kind of comes back to a question that you and I have discussed a lot, which is sort of like, is there a a thing as a good king? Yeah. Does a good king exist? And, you know, I still feel like the answer is no. But at least Aragorn is kind of, like, nervous about this. Like, he knows what men are capable of. And he's like, do I really want to inherit this power? Right? Because... I feel like you could read into it that he knows about this history of, like, colonization. I feel like it's kind of a stretch. Mm -hmm. But, like, I do kind of like it better than just, like, oh, yeah, like, this is mine, right? Like, I'm just rightfully taking it back. It's kind of nice that at least there's, like, some question there, right? Of, like, is this really my right? Like, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Like... Or, like, I wonder what, I don't know, maybe he, like, doesn't want to perpetuate those things. On the other hand, I kind of wonder, like, what he does, because he talks about, like, in the days of peace, you know what I mean? Like, he becomes king, he's like, let's live in the days of peace. I'm like, you know, what, how, like, how do you make peace with, like, the Dunlendings and, like, the other right. lesser men? Like, is that actually happening? I don't know. Probably not. 
So long story short, no wonder Elrond says men are weak. Um, the Numenorians were not good at all. Uh-huh. And like the Rohirrim were not good. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so just because you're fighting against someone who's bad doesn't mean you're good. <laughs> I guess is the sad message i want to leave us with so here's my question yeah do the elves ever do anything similar yes okay (laughs) yes i mean yeah they like kill each other over the silmarils right but But... that's that's much more from what i understand i have not read these it's much more of a equal powers fighting over power yeah not a I would say that, no, they don't do something on this level of, like, taking land from people. Even in their relationship with the dwarves, which is good sometimes. I want to point that out. Like, the elves and dwarves have not always, like, been at odds with each other. Um, And the dwarves have really helped in some of the fights against Morgoth in the First Age. Mm -hmm. And, like, there are some things that have kind of caused that divide, but, like, it's not like they were taking their lands. Like, there's a lot of... I'm not entirely sure if I'm right to draw this distinction. But to me, in the First Age, it feels like there's a lot of immigration going on not so much colonization. There's a lot of people moving around and equal power sort of vying for land and power, but not so much like, I'm going to come in and rob you of everything that you have Mm -hmm. and make you go somewhere where you can barely live. (laughs) Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, no, I would say, no, they don't do the same stuff. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I really feel like I organized that poorly because I always end on, like, this super negative, like, whatever. But it was amazing. It was fantastic. And now I'm rereading Fellowship because I want to actually get through the whole trilogy this time. But I'm, like, a weird completionist and feel like I need to start at the beginning again. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, like, flying through it other than Tom Bombadil. (laughs) <laughs> I am still stuck in that, like, 30-page span of the book. <laughs> but other than that, it's like, oh my god, seriously, if you think if you think Lord of the Rings is dense, which it kind of is sometimes, mm-hmm. if you read the Silmarillion first and then read Lord of the Rings, it's going to feel so easy. <laughs> you're going to feel like you're reading, like, a lovely children's book. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's so quick. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, I'm like trying not to like hold my breath or like count my chickens or whatever. But like right now, I feel really good because I'm like enjoying reading again. Yep. And it's not like, oh, I should read it. I'm genuinely like, I want to read. Like good. I get home and I'm like, ooh, I could read that sounds fun. I think I'm going to do that. Like, I want to know what happens next. Or like, even in the, like, I'm probably 150 pages into fellowship right now. Even just in that 150 pages, I'm like, whoa, I'm like making connections from the Silmarillion. And now that makes more sense. And now I know the history of that Mm -hmm. and that land and all of that kind of stuff. And Mm, it's just really fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having so much fun. Good. Yeah. So, 
Sorry this was so long, but I would like to make an excuse for myself in that this is 10 years in the making. It's also shorter than uh, the Chronicles of Narnia episode we did. So, I'm going to have to disagree with you. This sounds exactly like the Bible to me. This oh, is okay. Like, okay, okay. I would like I would like you to keep in mind it's been a really long time since I've read like genuinely mm-hmm. read the Bible. It's been oh, many years. So, I feel like I have a different idea of what the Bible is mm-hmm. in my head than what it actually is at this point. Right. So, go ahead. Cuz the Bible is not there are parables. Mm-hmm. There are here's the story and here's what you're supposed to take from it. But I think because many people's relationship with the Bible is going to church, hearing a story, and then hearing it explained, here's what we can learn from this. They think that's what the Bible is when it's not. That would be like thinking that reading, I don't know, Huckleberry Finn Mm -hmm. is about learning about racism. You can... (laughs) Right. Because that's like that sort of conversation is like the way you might read Huckleberry Finn, at least for me, is you're in a classroom and you read the book and you talk about these certain themes that you notice. And in you it. may think that that's what Mark Twain was doing. Right. right. He might have been. He might not have. Whatever. I haven't read it in forever. I, I, that's a bad example of like a book. Um, and I'm not saying that like the Bible isn't trying to like do these certain things. But, like, the Bible is... A history. It's a history, like, or at least that's how it's presented. You're going to get that, like, here's the origin story of the universe and Earth and men and sorts of things. But you're also getting love stories and, Mm. like, wars and... and, conquering other people's lands sort of thing because god says you're allowed to because they're Mm -hmm. not believers right that sort of thing that's what jericho's about that is what um like i don't think you specifically talked about what happened to the numenorians um you told me outside their island gets sunk and then heaven gets taken away from the world entirety the undying lands used to be much closer to middle earth you could literally sail there I mean, you still can, but now the world is round and it is on like a straight road and you Mm -hmm. cannot just like access it whenever (laughs) you want to anymore. So yeah, the Numenorians get sunk into the ocean. (laughs) And I mean, that feels to me very Mm Moses-like. Yeah, um, for sure. Here are the believers, they get to escape. Right. 20 people. Literally in ships. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny to me, I always see this sort of thing with, like, when people compare Tolkien and C.S. Lewis um, because they were friends and contemporaries and all these sorts of things. Like, they talk about how I feel like there's this sort of, like, haughtiness when it comes to, like, oh, C.S. Lewis, he, like, thinks he's being so clever with his Aslan being Jesus thing. It's like, oh, he's so obvious. And I'm like, I hear you talking about Tolkien. I'm like, yeah, that's the Bible. <laughs> like, I hear these you. These are Bible I hear stories you. To yeah, me. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay. No, I hear what you're saying. And like, clearly, like, the larger mythology stuff to me obviously reads mm-hmm. as Christianity. Like, we've got Iluvatar, the all-powerful god, who even the angels don't fully understand the meaning mm-hmm. or the long-term, yeah. like, what all, all is going to happen. Um, 
And there's the angels that sometimes interfere, but most of the time don't. It's kind of like miracles, right? Like very few and far between. Although I guess you can make an argument that in the Bible there was a time when miracles were happening more often, but whatever. That kind of stuff to me is very obvious. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so you're just rewriting the book of Genesis. (laughs) Other than kind of like the whole Adam and Eve thing. Yeah. And like the fall from sin is different. Like, when they're in Eden, it's very clearly like this, oh, you've, like, done something that you weren't supposed to for, like, you've who disobeyed. knows what fucking reason. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally an apple or a pomegranate or whatever, right? It's, it's like, fruit. it shouldn't it matter. Say. It shouldn't matter. The only thing is that you've been told you can't, mm-hmm. and then you do, yep. and then you fall, right? Whereas in Middle Earth... Um, it's more like these small groups of elves kind of awaken and there's like, there's like some of them and Melkor starts to just sort of like, it's sort of like he plants these little seeds of like making people not trust each other mm. and stuff like that that get passed down it's and down and down. It's not one big moment. Exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah. It's sort of an ongoing, like, just planting these little thoughts in people's heads about, like, you can't trust them or they're going to try and steal your mm-hmm. gem or whatever, right? And, I can't remember um, the, reli- like, religion or whatever. I, I want to say that there's one story of, like, people the the beginning of people and they're they're created by lesser and lesser materials each time until you end up with dirt which is what current humans are i can't remember which one that is but i remember reading some like mythology story so that's interesting um and that's what it sort of feels like with lord of the rings where it's like the earlier you come in the better you are and the better off you are and i know like it's not tolkien does not I feel like a lot of fantasy that apes Tolkien it takes it to mean that like oh elves live longer and they're they're wiser and they're better and they're in always superior to men and I feel like in Tolkien he's much more just like they're different. Um, yeah, he still probably leans into like they don't have the same issues like they fight but they aren't I don't know enslaving each other or what have you. Yeah, it's also that, like, at this point, like, when most people read Lord of the Rings, it's like, at this point, there really aren't that many of them left, because Mm. it's not like, oh, all of a sudden, there's this huge exodus. I mean, like, there is, but also, elves have been leaving and going to the Undying Lands for, like, forever. Like, they were always allowed to go, pretty much. Like, it has gotten more difficult, depending on the situation, um, and I won't go into, like, yeah. some of the complicated natures of that, but, like, elves have always been allowed to be there, right? And some of them were there from the beginning. They, like, went there immediately, almost. Mm-hmm. They literally get, like, swept away by, like, an angel because, like, they want to go there. Um, And so I feel like by the time you get to the Lord of the Rings, it's like there's really, in comparison to the past... Not that many of them left, Mm -hmm. right? They are there, but they're not the, like, main race anymore. And so it's sort of like, we're just different now. Mm -hmm. Like, like, we're wise literally just because, like, we watched everything happen kind of thing. Yeah. But, like, 
they are different, but I don't know. I feel like I'm just blabbering now, but I hope that made some kind of <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah. But, so, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't 100% remember what I was talking about, but yes. Feels very biblical to me. I will accept that. I feel like I had other things to ask, but to be quite honest, I think you mostly touched on what I had to ask. Okay. So. Well, cool. I was very succinct, but thorough. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. All I will say is, um, I know we've already put out an episode on fellowship. I'm not going to do that again as right. I'm rereading this, but eventually we will get some very out of order two towers in return of the King yeah. content. Yeah. 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 What do you have coming up? Next time is, um, stories of your life, which is a short story collection by Ted Chang. Um, which I believe story of your life is the, um, short story that the movie arrival is based on with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. So, it's a very good movie. Uh, the stories are good. Yes. Uh, thank you so much to Velt Punch for the use of their song Fighting Pose from His Strange Fighting Pose. We're very grateful. And I think that is it. Hey, check us out on Twitter. <laughs> at SundokuPod. Uh, and yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get a few more of these out this year. Because uh, this uh, has been few and far between but we actually have a few i have a few books lined up so i'm hoping that we'll be able to get a few more out semi-regularly all right sounds good yep see you next time guys bye bye